Hello and welcome to Gonna Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine, and with me there are two other human beings. I'm Jimmy, aka Fletcher. I'm Adam, noted human being. And and together we are a review podcast that talks about emo pop and pop punk as tagged by Radio Music from 99 to 2013. We're currently in the year 2001. And today we're getting a little more emo punk. This is classified both as emo pop and pop punk on Radio Music, and it's sort of neither... <laughs> To be fair, this album's a weird one. I would say that this is more like a straight up like rock and roll, like modern rock album. They definitely have like a Nemo punk, like emo core lineage, um, Jimmy Edward, but by this point, I don't think there's a lot left there. This is a good record, though. I like this. Yeah. We're talking about Jimmy Edward by Jimmy Edward, or Bleed American by Jimmy Edward. Or as Billboard likes to call it, Bleed America by Jimmy Edward. That's why it got banned. It's really funny because Billboard wants you to like pay fucking like $200 a year to use the pro functions. And it's so, it's such a fucking broken website with so many like error and fuck ups on it that it's just impressive. Well, yeah, nobody's using it for any business reasons other than the most out-of-touch music executives at this point. Mm, that is fair. And podcast hosts. Fair, but we're using it casually as a tool that we can assist ourselves with. We're not looking at the actual numbers and going, What do you mean we only got up to 43? Uh, are you saying our podcast isn't a business? We do not have a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, the, y'all remember Jimmy Edward? Adam, do you remember Jimmy Edward? <laughs> I know two entire of their songs. Do you remember the episode that we did about Jimmy Edward? <laughs> nope, wasn't there. <sighs> you young whippersnappers. <laughs> I don't think that has any relationships to the fact that I'm a, I'm a crooked week off that week. I was ditching school. I'm a rebel. I've got to fight the power. Your clarity class. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, I'm failing. I'm desperately clicking through our website to figure out which episode it was, and it was episode three. So if you want to listen to our thoughts on Jimmy Edward Clarity, spoiler alert, it's a fucking great record. And if you want to listen to a brief history of Jimmy Edward, actually not that brief, if you want to listen to an history of Jimmy Edward, Episode 3, Jimmy at Word, Clarity, gotta get out of this town. Go back there, and we we did a history thing.
But in the meantime, the last time we left them at the end of Clarity, the album was a complete commercial failure. Phoenix TX sold more than Clarity, and this is before Phoenix TX had a major label deal. Yeah. I, I still stand that that means that Phoenix TX is better than Jimmy It Ward. Ah, more money equals better than. Absolutely. Speaking of the past, in the 2000s, the band started touring Europe and put out their own EP called Singles, featuring B-sides, demos, and tracks that were never on their Capitol Records albums. Capital, who, you know, had the band already had issues with before, ends up dropping the band because Clarity performs really badly. Jimmy Awards, though, decides not giving up. We're not gonna pack our bags. We're gonna try once again for fame because our alternative is like, I guess, being regular people in one of the countries that's more hostile to, like, workers in the world, which is America. So, you know... You better try for fame or die. Pretty much. I'm working on it. I think there's a 50 Cent album about that. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, they basically decide to self-produce their next record. They pull up all of the remaining money that they have and even start getting day jobs to save up as much as possible. Jim Madkin starts selling art supplies. Tom Linton works in construction. Rick Birch shopped auto parts. I don't know what that means. I don't understand automobiles. And Zach Linz shuttled customers at a car dealership. So this basically means you have the 2000s village people right there because one was a construction worker. Seems legit. Eventually, through all this, the band saves enough to get back to the recording studio. And once again, Mark Trombino is their producer. So this time, he helps them out by deferring his fee until the album is complete. Unlike the previous record, where a lot of the record was discovered during recording, since nobody had an idea of what to do, uh, due to their budget limitation, Bleed American was a much more focused set of sessions, and the band went into it having pretty much all the songs prepared. They were like, you have three weeks. You have to make a record in three weeks, which is sort of like, you know, Sort of have to have to get, go there prepared. You cannot play around with rooms full of instruments like in Clarity, sadly. Also, they only had five instruments to work with, including a lady. The lady was an instrument. <laughs> Rachel Hayden of That Dog. Yeah, one of the many collaborations. Well, one of the two collaborations on this record. Bleed American, because of the fact that it had to be more planned out, is a more focused rock record, and... As we just mentioned, there's a collaboration with a pair of people. Davey Von Bolen of The Promise Ring gives vocals on a praise chorus, and Rachel Hayden of That Dog covers about a third of the album with uh, assistance. Yeah, she will also follow the band on tour on a bunch of dates. That's cool. So, when they're finished, the band decides to take the next couple of months and decide what to do with everything they've just recorded. Initially, they didn't know if they were going to shop the record around to indie labels or major, or if they just wanted to press it and sell it themselves. To their surprise, though, a bunch of major labels start talking to them again, including Capital trying to pick up where they left off. They nope out very quickly from that specific offer. <laughs> yup. The band ends up signing with DreamWorks, yes, the Shrek people, which had already shown interest in them a year prior, and this is who releases Bleed American. The first single from the record is the self-titled track, 
It gets a music video, but it's mostly meant to be a radio single. The video is just not too fancy live recording of the song. Unfortunately, that 9th of November thing happens in America by the time, so it's not <laughs> cool anymore to call your record Bleed American and call your single Bleed American. So they they have to change it. The record becomes Jimmy It Ward by Jimmy It Ward. And the song becomes Salt, Sweat, Sugar, I think? Yes, based on one of the lyrics. So, you know, everything is right. They literally talk about, in interview, they literally talk about having, like, a call with, like, the the record label. And it's just like, no one has really told us to change the name or, like, was angry about. But also, like, the radio was just not playing this song called Bleed American. So... Oh, no, they they were specifically called out by one of the biggest conglomerates in the U.S. at this time. Oh, really? Clear Channel Radio named Bleed American as one of the things that should not be played in their 2002 memo about we need to, you know, be very healing to the country. And that's part of why it got renamed. Oh, cool. That's uh, that contrast with what they said in an interview that I read where they were like, oh, no one told us to change it, but also they were not playing the song. Yeah, let me dig around again because I saw the explicit mention. I, I mean, it's entirely likely that they didn't know that it was on the that list at the time they were giving the interview a list. But then again, fortunately, Nickelback helped us all get through those tough times, and uh, other single by Jimmy Edward could be released after a while. The Middle, Sweetness, The Praise Chorus, four whole singles. This record that's uh, that's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Despite uh, being one of these songs that was allegedly the most rushed, uh, The Middle became a smash hit in 2002, topping at five on the Billboard Hot 100, which, as you know, makes you a certified top 40 success, with five being less than 40. The first mix of the song, which you can hear in one of the micro-documentaries they've done for the record, was pretty much an 80s synth-pop song. It even has, like, a shitty keyboard solo. Uh, honestly, it was pretty terrible, and they everyone recognized it, and that's why we have the current version, which is much better. Have you have you heard the that version, Fletch? I have not, but I really do want to now because I would be very curious how that track turns into an '80s synth jam. Gotcha. Yeah, you put the whole documentary in, and I did not get through it before we. Oh, okay. Oh my god, the look on their faces as they keep listening to this. This is <laughs> yeah. this is pretty good. Yeah. Just everyone's face sinking, someone's got their head in their hands. <laughs> wow. I want a copy of that version. Anyhow, fun fact. This is like one of the things that uh, Wikipedia doesn't tell you. Only we tell you these things because we watch obscure documentaries about records. Ten minutes off a DVD. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, it's also funny because they're like, uh, when they talk about this song, they're like, oh, also this is the only song we ever did with like a real solo and it's really shitty and I shouldn't be doing a solo. And he's like, I agree. <laughs> and I I am happy that we both agree that the solo on this song is dumb. Yeah. So uh, the record is massively successful as a whole, debuting at 54 on the Billboard 200 before any singles come out. And it stays there for a while, eventually peaking at 32. In August 2002, the album will be certified platinum. We don't hear that a lot on this show. Well, Blink does that. Some 41 had a platinum album. And I think that's everything before we get into the actual tracks. That would bleed America. It's a fucking great rock song. Has like a wonderful guitar tone. It's very alt rock, like very harsh, very dark. And yeah, it's great. Sounds great. It's like aggressive, has energy. The chorus is like hits like a fucking brick in the face. I love this song. This song is probably the best on the record. Top three easy. I think it's my favorite on the record. This song is great. It's definitely a good, let's start out, let's show we're not at the same place we were last time, go aggressive, but don't go to the point of parody. If you take this one step further, this is some of the social commentary on the last Green Day album. Hmm, yeah. I don't know, this feels more personal, especially because Jim Atkins at the time was actually taking like anxiety pills, and that's why he mentioned, you know, the pill part of the lyrics. See, that's funny because when I first listened to this, I was like, oh, shoot, lyrics that like actually speak to me as a person. I don't get a lot of that in this uh, <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it's the fact that they stopped where they did that keeps it from being the hammy. That was the point. It was pretty. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. And. And yeah, this is great. This is like, what if butt rock was good? Like, this has very butt rock energy, but it's too genuine and too, like, energetic and actually, like, feels heartfelt to actually be butt rock. It's a step above butt rock. Like a tramp stamp. <laughs> Trump stamp rock. Sure. <laughs> we have to go with tramp rock, otherwise it's just going to be so unable to flow. TSR? You can shorten it. Oh, no. Now I'm thinking of AOR. No, no. Turn left. Well, it was nice knowing you, Fletch. <laughs> uh, AOR, adult-oriented rock. Oh, it's no. Basically what, yeah, it's basically what every soft rock VH1 track was classified as. Yeah, it's R.E.M. Uh, you're allowed to like R.E.M., but you are liking something that is made for old people who are generally allergic to electric guitar. R.E.M. had one decent album. 
I've never been an REM fan. No, me neither. Automatic for the people is okay. This is the best that I can say about REM. I don't know that I've heard an REM song that isn't radio song, which is one of the worst things I've heard in my life. I mean, I like them, but I'm not about to be like, no, they're good, actually. Yeah. There's a difference. They broke up, and Michael Stipe's work post-REM is pretty good. Oh, yeah, I like Moby. Don't, don't diss him that hard. He might look like Moby, but he's not that bad. <laughs> also, hey, remember the time that I managed to piss off an entire podcast network by setting the Michael Stipe emote to just be a sad Billy Corgan? Because I do. Oh, Fletch. Yeah, Bleed American, it's a great track. I, uh, it's good, listen to it. It's just like fucking in-your-face rock track. Great. It's like energy, it's aggressive, it's great. Like, within two seconds, it's already got the guitar going at full blast, and the whole thing never stops. Like, they don't have many weird instrumentation going on, but they make it up with, like, all of the songs have, like, some fantastic backing vocals. Here you have echoed shouts going back and forth while the main melodies with the voice goes on. This is great. This is really good. Good song. This could be a Thursday track, which is high praise. I don't know how Thursday evolves. This is too poppy to be on full collapse. This is, has very much pop song structure. But it's got the vocals and screaming as an instrument. It's got the hard energy... And it's got that pointed lyrical style. It's also a bit too simple in terms of lyrics to be Thursday. Thursday, I love them. They are very verbose with their lyrics. They are very like, I'm going to put four objectives here. This is like simple, effective, has some like great iconic lyrics, like the chorus, which is like salt, sweat, sugar on the asphalt, which I don't know what that means, but that sounds good. I like this. It's enjoyable. It sounds nice. At no point while listening to it was I like, I could be listening to something else. Um, Did have a little bit of trouble understanding the lyrics, but that's, you know, just how my brain works. When I looked up the lyrics, I was like, oh, these are good. I like this. Like, there was, it, it's good. And then we move to a priest chorus. This is a song that for, you know, 20 years now has just been a non-stop hype track for me. I have listened to this since it came out. If you get this going and I'm not driving, I will legit just start pogoing to this fucking track. <laughs> it's a bit like if you put a mountain goat song and uh, you are unfortunate enough to have me in the vicinity, I'm just gonna sing the whole thing. Uh, I'm assuming it's sort of the same kind of instant reaction. Yeah, this is just a full-on energy, positive vibes, good feeling. It, the whole thing is clearly just a love letter 
to a bunch of shit they grew up with. And, you know, especially the breakdown at the end where it's just a bunch of references to what's clearly the music they grew up on. Fuck it. It still flows. It does not bring anything to a halt. It's just like, yo, this is what got me up. This is what got me dancing. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's a good song. It's poppier than anything they've ever done. Like, this is the bit when you're like, oh, they're going pop. But it sort of rules. It has, like, on the chorus, you have, like, the cool stuttering. It's just like, the things. And that's fun. I love that in pop songs. Yeah, it's it's really great because they, they do it a few times and it never sticks. It's very well apparent. It's sung. And that's the kind of touch you don't get out of a band that might just you know, scratch it a couple times and go, yeah, that's there. This has some of the same, like, emotional energy as Rock Show by Blink-182. I can see that, especially since I was calling out, yeah, they were talking about a local venue from around here. Yeah, very same thing. I just didn't grow up where Jimmy Eat World did. Maybe there's something of that in here that I don't pick up. The bit at the end is just a bunch of references. You can play the see how many of those you can pick up game. That's fun. There is They Might Be Giant, The Promise Ring, Monthly Crew, and some other stuff that I hadn't quite got. Cool. Song is fun. It's like, this is like a poppy song. Again, this is where this sort of more bare instrumentation and bare production that you have, given the really limited recording time that they had, is here it really works, because it's like, it's a bare-bone pop, power pop track. And yeah, I like it. It's great. The choruses on this record are absolutely fantastic. They stick in your head. They are catchy. I don't know. I don't know if they were actively trying to like be like, we're going to make some pop hits with this record. But if they did try to do that, they succeeded. Because again, these choruses were great. I've heard like a lot of critique of this record being like, oh, this feels very corporate. And... I can get where is that is coming from, because on, on one hand, this is a lot safer than Clarity. This is a lot, like, straight-up radio rock songs. But also, I don't know, like, it's not that feeling to me, because, like, everything on this record is, like, sung and played with a very, like, genuine energy that you cannot really put into words. But again, like, this song, this is just like, oh, this is a band of bands that we like. We're gonna put a The Promise Ring reference in here. And it's just like, yeah, this doesn't feel corp. Like, it feels safe, it feels pop, but it also feels like this is genuine stuff that this dude wanted to play. And that gives it, like, a, a oomph, an energy, something going for it. I don't think you can call this corporate when it has, as you said, the energy is on 9 out of 11 tracks, and when you've got that 9-11 energy going on an album called Bleed American, and the whole thing is also kicking off with, look what you did to a generation, right into, this is how you love life, into, find yourself. The whole thing is energy and a celebration of nostalgia and youth in a way that, this is what a lot of bands in pop punk wish they could do especially the ones who are aiming at a younger audience explicitly but you don't honestly yeah you were talking about this is simpler than thursday who i compared the sound to thursday would try and make this a little more highfalutin jimmy world 
I don't get the feeling that these tracks went through seven revisions on the lyrics so much as I like the sound of that. All right, let's get it into the studio. That's valid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is my number one with a bullet, depending on my mood. I like Bleed American better. I like the three title track better. Just like that, that like really heavy guitar tone on Bleed American. It's awesome. If I'm in a good mood, this is my number one. Bleed American's my number three. I am never in a good mood. Well, then you might like my number two and or one. But we'll get there. First, let's go to the middle. Yeah, let's talk about the middle. Let's talk about the trans song. Trans song, trans song, trans song, trans song, trans song, trans song. So listen, 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 listen. This was my favorite song for about six years of my life. Great. It's the trans song. I love it. It is. This is, I'm going to just <laughs> sit back and let y'all steer the ride This, for a this second. is an identity politics podcast now, and the song is great because it's the trans song. <laughs> Sorry. I make the rules. <laughs> I I think I've already told you. This is the weakest song on the album to me, and that's just because I heard this played to death. That's fair. I think, taking that bit aside, this is a good song. Yeah, it's not a bad song. It is the song I am least likely to ever play if you put these 11 tracks in front of me. Oh, I disagree. I, I, I will play this song. I will play this song on Guitar Hero. Uh, sadly, I don't have my Guitar Hero guitar anymore, so I cannot play that anymore. I left that in the UK because surprisingly hard to bring on a plane. I can imagine that. Yeah, but really fun to play on Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Actually, the Rock Band charts is better. When is that not the truth? This is the song that I will sing every single time you put it on. It's fun. Like, you can... There, there are a lot of things that you can criticize about this song. Like, you know, it, the solo is really cheesy. It's sort of simplistic. It doesn't build in the same way that a lot of other songs on the record build, but... It's the trans song. It's fun. I, I like this. This is, a, this is a fun song. Sweetness is the better version of this to me. Eh, this is more fun. This is more upbeat. Sweetness is sort of dark. I mean... I know. That's what I love. No, this is just, this is just like fun. This is like... Do you want a song that's just fun? Here. The it, middle. Like, Fletch, if I wanted darkness, I could just look inside myself as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so two years ago? Actually, no. I am 22. Damn! I no longer can use the same number. Ah. All right. Yeah, by the way, if people are uh, confused, we call this the trans song because someone on Twitter went like, uh, oh, the middle is the new official like anthem for uh, trans girls everywhere. And the Jimmy It Words replied with uh, the Jimmy It Words account, which I don't know who runs, but... 
replied with a thumbs up. So this is officially the trans song right now. And that's great. As it should be. I didn't actually have that context. I just thought it had to do with the general gist of the vibe. It does. Like, that's why the original tweet happened. But the confirmation is the band being like, thumbs up. We approve of this. So, like, this is official now. This is trans song. Trans song. Mm-hmm. Trans song. Uh, hey. Far, far be it from me to tell you how to trans correctly. <laughs> Far from me to tell you how to Jimmy it word correctly. There's only one right way to do both of them. I'm sure I will get yelled at when you find out what my other number one candidate on this album is. Dun dun dun. But for now, let's stop talking about your gender and talk about your house. When you're on, I swear you're on, you rip my heart right out. My heart right out. I think the whole room can mimic my throat. You rip my heart right out. You rip my heart right out. If you still care at all, don't go. Yeah, this is like you suddenly slow down. Like, I get that after three like banging rock songs, you sort of have to have something more mellow. But I'm not into this. Oh, see, this one could have been all right if they had, if it had been just a little bit less repetitive. I think this song needs a string section. This feels like a bunch of tracks on clarity, but without the like sweet instrumentation experimentation that they had on here. And like, you know, Jim Adkins' voice is great on this. The the bit when they move to the bridge is just like a super fucking elegant bit of just like songwriting. I love it. But this just doesn't click for me. Again, I think it needs a string section. It needs like some oomph behind it. Like this. Uh... I think it could be better. I think strings would absolutely be a great thing here. But they come at it with very different drumming and a guitar pattern that's not used anywhere else on that they're trying to make it distinct with what they have and i really love this is their take on a breakup song and it doesn't have to be you know screw you f that bitch it's instead the whole thing is about the pain and just the little ways that still trying to be friends with someone can be brutal to you a kick in the ribs I love it. But but they had they had better breakup songs than Clarity. Yeah, but when you're doing the youth experience, you need more. Also, one of my notes here is that I want to see Flesh defending the repetitiveness of this track, because you're the one always going on about repetitiveness, and this one, this one repeats a lot. It sure does. <laughs> it does. I'm not... You notice that I'm not sticking up for anything beyond the emotions it conjures up in the lyrics. Because, let me tell you, that chorus is a thing that hits me hard. (laughs) Lower half of the album, I say there's definitely room for improvement, but a lower-tier track on this album is still something I would listen to over 90% of what we cover on the show. I like the next one. This episode is going to be really short, because every track is just like, yeah, I like this, this is good. 
I mean, it's a very good album. I'm really happy with this, and it's hard to... It's hard to find new ways to say, yeah, this is my shit after so yeah, often. I like the next one. A sweetness. If you're listening, whoa, sing it back, whoa, and so on and so on. It's a good song. I didn't know that this was Jimmy Eat World until I listened to the album for this podcast. Hmm, interesting. How was your your experience discovering that this was Jimmy Eat World? Oh, that tracks. Okay. <laughs> also... This has probably the best video on the album, if you ask me, even if the copy that's online clearly needs to be better upscaled because it's early digital and it's just been poorly transcoded to 720p. Oh, see, I conceptually, I really like the the middle video. It's just the naked people make me uncomfortable. I think the, the middle video is really well shot. It's just like this. I think it's like a continuous shot, just like a following camera of someone hanging out at a party. And everyone is naked, though, and, like... It's it's not a continuous shot. Isn't that? I rem- this is just me going from memory. I know it's not because there's at least one part where there's a hard cut when they go underwater for a second and you just see he's the only one not in swimwear. That's But it's sort of doing the thing, you know, following someone to a party and there's, like, a bunch of cool shots. It's just, like, you naked people. Yeah. Well, it's there's two people at this party where it's, you know, the kind of thing you'd see in a teen sex romp and one kid who's just not getting into it. And then he finds a girl who's not getting into it and they leave together and they seem to be happy. Yay. Happiness. Yeah, it it's a little too wholesome for me. That's all. <laughs> like, that seems to be the whole point of that one. What was the video of sweetness again? I remember the bits with them playing, but I don't remember the actual stuff in the video. Sweetness is a lot of janky CG screwing around, like they're playing in their studio and you've got little lightning effects and things. And then they're, you cut to the outside of the place and it's this weird polygonal house that looks incredibly fake. But there's, there's a certain amount of how it leans into the cheapness that I think is cute. They're in the van going to a show at one point. And the tires have about three frames of animation, and they're all animated on a different cycle, so it looks like the van is about to fall apart. Jimmy It Ward, starring in Reboot. Very much Reboot vibes. There's an absolutely shitty crowd loop they do in one part where they're on an arena stage, and there's like four people with three frames of animation each and it's really clear how much it's reused but i love that they're just like this is what a room full of people is like <laughs> they should have just had the little cardboard car out like in wrestling games it's just shy of that and that's kind of why it works for me uh this is great with another like catchy rock song like it's a good pop song a bit harsher again 
the um, the guitar tone reminds me of the title track, which I am approving of. There's a lot of whoa, and that whoa, and usually punctuated with guitar. Yeah, your mileage may vary on that. I like it, but it's uh, <laughs> sort of cheesy. I love me some whoa, whoa, whoa's. Yeah, like this is one of the songs. I shouldn't like this song. This song is one of the songs that sort of goes nowhere musically. Like it has one tone and it just like sort of wallows in it. But uh, it's charming. It's really catchy. Like it's sort of like this guitar driven mess, but like the vocals and the guitar have this great interplay when the the that they sort of like intertwine and they play off each other very well. There's like a bit near the end with just this random ass piano, which is fantastic. It just adds so much texture to the song. Dun, 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 That's all the piano is doing. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's just like just hammering on the same four notes for a bit, and it's just like. It's doing nothing, but it adds to the song. It adds to the texture. I like this song. This is fun. Again, a lot of this record, I cannot tell you that it's like a masterpiece of experimentation, but it's a fun record. Like, there's a lot of just like fun rock songs on this record. This is Summer Jam as Hell. Yeah. It is. Out of that, we go into Hear You Me. So lucky, so strong, so proud I never said thank you for that Now I never have a chance May angels lead you in Hear you meet my friends On the sleepless roads, the sleepless Yeah, let's go into the closing track of the record. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, tell me that this wouldn't have been a fantastic six-track EP. Just the first six-track of the record would have been like a five out of five six-track EP if it closed here. Really? You would just dump the back five, huh? There are good things on the back five. I think the, fir- like, the first six-track are immaculate on this record. I get- I can get that. Like, your house is maybe a bit weak, but it helps with the flow. I think the first, like, six beats of this uh, this record, like, the six, six, you know, thing that happens are immaculate. And then you sort of, you know, you need to have other songs on the record. You need a bit of filler. That was the 2000s music industry. You need a little filler. Hear You Me. It's a slow song. It's about Michael and Carly Allen, who were big supporter of uh, Wither. They were big wither head that tragically died uh, in a car crash in 97. And they basically helped a lot of um, up and coming bands, giving them like places to sleep and stuff like that. So they actually gave like a place to sleep to the members of Jimmy Edwards when they were touring and they were fan of Jimmy Edwards too. So as much as we make fun of wither, this is a... This is a very heartfelt song about a couple of people they were friends with and that they lost. And yeah, it's great. Like, they, Jimmy Edwards knows how to write a slow song. And aside from the fact that this is, like, very heartfelt and uh, very well written about something, you know, people that they lo- lost, uh, this is also, like, a really good song. This is just, like, an appropriately sad and just, like, 
melancholic song about losing someone and being like, you know, if you could see us now, if you could see us now that we are like growing as a band. Again, if this closed the record, fucking immaculate repeat. Just saying. I could see that. I I stand by my usual policy of I will never talk shit about a tribute to a dead person song, but there's nothing to really talk shit about on this one. It's a pretty good middle of the album downer track and Rachel Hayden's lyrics come on for the first time here. She is a good backing vocal in the second chunk of the song. Not something I would go to in my emo moods, but it's not a failure by any means. I mean this in the nicest way possible, but this is something that I would listen to to go to sleep. Yeah, it's very, it's soothing. Like, it's a comforting sort of thing. It's not like, oh, this is boring. It's just very soft. And much like how you said this could be the close to an EP, this and the actual close of the album, My Sundown, are very I could not off to this tracks. The next song is If You Don't, You Don't. This is fine. This is pleasant. I don't know why they have 400 verses on this song, but this is okay. This is the wordiest track on the album by volume. You expect them to go to the next song, but there are like still like 10 verses. <laughs> You're like, okay. This is their hometown song based on a few of the things that I read about it in research, but eh, it's perfectly okay. It's a dissolving friendship breakup track i'm not sure it leaves me a little out in the cold it's still energetic that's jimmy Eat world for you i don't know yesterday i was listening to fuck your aurora by the yalkine trio which was on their first record and that is a good dissolving friendship song i love that song it's about uh the city of aurora because one of the singer's friends went to that city and from from when she went to the city they sort of never talked for a bunch and he literally made a song like fuck you city i hate you <laughs> i'm into it uh yeah let's go to the next one because the next one gets butt rock i don't care what you do i'm getting out no nothing ever shames me don't want a thing from you i'm going out don't care if you're angry ah, 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 I'm getting out Now nothing ever shakes me ah, 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 I'm going out I don't care if you're angry I should have thought things through I'm holding The next track is Get It Faster and when I am in a dark mood this is my favorite song on this record this is, this is big Jimmy Edward butt rock. Fight, 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 fight. I'm not saying that it's bad. It doesn't have to be bad. You can enjoy butt rock, but... I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just like very butt rock. 
<laughs> like the guitar tone, the grimy aggressiveness. This is. Uh, I love that. Well, after listening to this record and taking this note, I go, went and listened to the documentary, and they were like, "Oh yeah, this is, was basically a joke for them writing this song." Like they mentioned that, like when they were recording this, they couldn't help but laugh because of how like grimy and dark this song was. Yeah, I'm into it, and it also has for what is a surprise halfway through the album about a 30 second intro that just builds up into the track yeah my notes at the beginning of this is like hey it's super silent hey it's the franciscan hobbs yeah that's a really good like weird industrial like experimental like ambientish intro and then it just goes into like this incredibly aggressive like butt rock track yeah the first 50 seconds of this or so was me checking my headphones to see if I like had accidentally unplugged them, adjusting my sound settings, being like, oh no, Spotify says it's playing. Um, What's the end? And then I'm like, oh, there is a little bit of something there. What? Okay. And then the bat arrives. I love it. I don't know if I love it. If I am in a terrible mood, this is my, this is the praise chorus for when I'm in a dark place. I don't know if I love it. Uh, I laughed at it, <laughs> uh, which is not bad. It's just like, uh. I have lived this track. I'm down. That's valid. I think it's perfectly okay. Uh, the next one is Cushioners. You'll change your mind. This one is atmospheric. So this is one of the few songs that's an exception to my uh, rule of like, uh, uh, if it goes over four minutes and 30 seconds, I've lost interest. Yeah, I like the song. They say that it's um, in the documentary. They say, oh, this is pretty much Priest Chorus again, which it's true chord wise, but it's lower. And this actually reminded me more of 10 from Clarity. And um, I like the, the, even with the limited, like, budget that they have, they still experiment with shit. Like, this one, the recording was, instead of, like, playing the song, both for the drum and for the guitar, they just recorded single notes and then chopped them up and, like, copied and pasted them to have the song. So you have this very, like, uh, this very mechanical, computerized feel to the instrumentation because they literally just, like, played one note and then copy and pasted it again over and over and you can hear it because it doesn't it's cut like the note should you know the the reverb or whatever you know the the tail of the note should just go on and on but it doesn't it just straight cut to another thing and it's like a really interesting um it's a really interesting sound and again like they're really good at this like slow moving airy ballads that are absolutely like a notch above most rock ballads of the time like this is how you make a slow rock song that's like sort of droning and sort of 
you know, is trying to do something more than just giving you energy. I like this song. Uh, this is the one. I think this song is the one that comes the closer to what I really like with them on clarity. Like this is the most clarity song on the record, and that's a good thing. It's very slow, but it never drags, and that's kind of impressive for being the second longest track on the album. Yeah, I mean, they use repetition. They they, they use all of this thing to create a feel, and that's good. The problem with slow tracks is when they are like, you know, generic, sappy, romantic songs. The problem with slow tracks is when the calling makes them. Uh, <laughs> this feels like it could be the score to something. Yeah, no, I liked it. This is, again, they, they know how to make this kind of music. They made Clarity, which is a lot of like this kind of tracks. And it works. Even with limited budget, they had this great idea with how to do the instrumental part on this. It works. It's a good song. It'll be interesting to see what the album after this becomes. Yeah, Futures. Futures. That's the next thing they do. There's a, a, a future? Next up, it is time to play the game with the Authority song. John Cougar Mellencamp was a thing I didn't expect out of this album when I first bought it. Yep, that's just a whole song referencing a John Mellencamp song. Yep, and the guitar work is very reminiscent of his authority song, but it's not one-to-one. Yeah, this is, I, this is a cute song, but this is something Weezer would write. <laughs> Oh, especially the part where they just start doing the worst version of Praise Chorus where they're throwing in a bunch of band and song names. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is a wizard song. This is like darky nostalgia rock. And yeah. And I enjoy it. Really? All right. It's not bad. I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's ple I don't think there's a bad track on this record. I think this is pleasant, but not my first choice for something to listen from this record. Yeah, I mean, me either, but it's it's fun. This is the forgettable track for me. You know, it's a beat. It has, like, this very vintage rock feel with the backing vocals. It's cute. Like, that's the best that I can say about it. It's cute. Mostly it just in the middle of the song, I always start thinking, maybe I should just be listening to Jesus and Mary Chain instead. Well, the album's almost over. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of, um, I should be listening to something else right now with this one. That was nice. Just like the album in general, you know? Oh, yeah. This is, this is not one of those weeks where I stopped it and went to listen to something else between tracks, which has happened on this show before. This was a, uh, I'm going to rewind and play that one again. <laughs> and then we go to the final track. My Sundown. I said my goodbye. This is my sundown I'm gonna be so much more than this 
I, yeah. I think this is this works. This is a slow song. Again, this is sort of like cautioners. It works like a close of the record, but doesn't quite click for me. I don't even know why. It's just like it's a sad song. The lyrics are good. I think the lyrics are very interesting. Uh, musically, it just doesn't click. Like it's fine. It's perfectly fine to close the record. It's a perfectly fine closer, but. It's just, it's one of the songs where it's sort of like it's the obvious choice to choose the record and it does not excel. So you, if you're not surprising nor excelling in what you're doing, especially for like something as important as a closer, it doesn't, it, it isn't bad, but it's very forgettable to me, Sundown. I didn't know that this had ended <laughs> until it was done. And that really says a lot about this track. Yeah, I think the lyrics, again, we haven't talked a bunch about the lyrics because especially the lyrics on this record are very condensed, so you often don't have a lot to talk about. Um, in, uh, in the previous record, they were a bit more artful, there was a lot of like imagery. This is a record with very short lyrics for most of the record, like it's very condensed, it's not Super, there's still a lot of like metaphorical stuff going on but it's very like line 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 the song ends and this is interesting because this is sort of like there are again there are interesting imagery that doesn't get expanded on like you know uh, something along the line of like i went follow my dream and no one cared no one cared no one cared and stuff like that and it's like sort of tragic and interesting but musically, it just doesn't click for me. It exists. Musically, it exists. R.I.P. to you, but I'm different. Do you like this? I like it. It makes me very emo, but I do believe this is classified as an emo band. <laughs> that is fair. Emo pop. Radio Music told me so. It sounds pretty. Musically, it clicks for me <laughs> to be the opposite to Ellie's energy here. Again, I think it's a good closer, definitely in the bottom half of the record for me, and I don't know that I could call it bad. No, I wouldn't call anything on this record bad. But I'm underwhelmed, yes. And yeah, this closes the record. I don't have uh, what happened later. Uh, th this week was very bad for me mentally, uh, but we can go to our final thoughts. A number one. What? Like, best best thing we've listened to on this show. Oh, I disagree. Also, I have authority songs stuck in my head now, and that is not a good feeling. Yeah, I did that. Go on, sorry. Like, I've been praising this one for a while. After we did Clarity, I said I bought this one and it, I knew it held up. So I've just been waiting for us to get here so I could gush about it. Some tracks that are just all-time energy or grimy, filthy rage when I need it. Bleed American is 
probably one of the best tracks to sum up the 2000s in America in a lot of ways without resorting to weird racism or violence. And yet it still gives off the same vibes to the point that they decided to ban it from one of the major radio station organizations in the U.S. I don't think you could get more punk on the punk side of pop punk, emo punk, than this album for the Bush era. At least Bush won. Let's not get into when we will inevitably have to touch Rock Against Bush Volumes 1 and 2. I bought them. I will I will rip them and make you listen to them as a bonus, both of them. I am afraid. Sad face. I am scared. Uh, this record is good. I didn't like it as much as Clarity. Clarity is fantastic. It has a lot of experimentation. It has a lot of, like, artfulness to it. This record is a more straightforward pop rock and roll record, and it's good. Has a lots of good tracks on it. Would have been a fantastic six-track EP. The latter half just sort of peters out. The the last five tracks sort of just exist. Mostly they're they're good. I really like cautioners, but the first six tracks on this record are absolute bangers aside from like your house but you need something to you know for the flow there yeah this is good i don't think i don't think it's even in my top three of the best thing we've listened in no particular order right now my top three is clarity full collapse by thursday which is probably the best thing we've listened and the afi record i don't think this is as good as any of them just by virtue of being more pop it's it's an easier record not in terms of making it, of course, but it's like it's a more of an easy listening record. Like, there's not a lot of complexity. There's not a lot of, like, weird stuff going on. And I love myself some weird stuff. But, no, this is a fantastic pop record. It, they they have, you know, they have more smashing, like, pop song that a lot of, like, straightforward pop act would have on their records. And that's, you know, that's good. Uh, I like it. I don't love it. I think it's in the end probably where Clarity was a 4 out of 5 for me. This is sort of in between 3.5 and 4. More leaning on the 3.5. This is good. It's not great for me. This is good, solid pop stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe it's my weird hipster shit that like if something is like straightforwardly pop, it's a bit more difficult for me to be like, yeah, this is amazing. Unless you're like, you know, OK Go by OK Go, which is like a perfect pop record. But <laughs> It was a good record, yeah. This is my favorite record that we've listened to. Yeah. Yes. It's good. I like it. Making Listening to it makes me happy, except for the sad songs, which make me sad. It's a success. <laughs> It has the trans song on it, which I approve of. That's fair. Yes, it, it does have... Yeah, it, it has what was literally my favorite song for more than half a decade of my short, short life. Like, Pretty sure we all like this record. Yeah, it's great. 
I'm just like I, I have to I have to be the contrarian. I have to be like, oh, they were better on clarity. That's my voice when I say this. <laughs> they were better on clarity. No song on this record is as good as your new aesthetic. Firm disagree, and I did like that track. That track is fantastic. And I don't think anything here approaches like the sheer just like noisiness and aggression of the track. Also, like it's to note, all of this is not an emo record. Like people call it emo pop. I don't hear it. It made me emo. <laughs> That's fair, but like genre-wise, like there is nothing as straightforwardly like emo core emo pop as blister on this record. And I don't think you can really hear that sound anymore in their music, which is not bad, but it is to be noted that this is like straightforwardly like pop rock, power pop, get in the radio, which is not bad because again, it's delivered with a lot of genuinity and a lot of energy and it's done right. And I love me some pop. It's just like, I don't know, clarity. I, I love clarity. I think clarity has some great stuff on it and this is more this is more accessible but for those of you listening at home you're not about to hear us go on to jimmy Eat world next week or two weeks out depending on where this lands on our hiatus you're going to hear us talk about sugar cults start static and boy am i afraid to revisit this one because i recognize all three singles oh boy uh-oh same song, different chorus. So, dear sugar cultists, this was the episode. You can find our website at getoutofthistown.com. Go there, go there, go there. <laughs> You want to go there. You want to go there so bad. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. If you write us, you can write anything that you want. If you want to write us your fucking, I don't know, your shopping, grocery shopping list, do it. We'll read it. We, we are desperate for human connection in this pandemic. I've been locked in a room for five days. If you want me to proofread your original fiction... <laughs> Yeah, send us your <laughs> send us your fan fiction about Fallout Boy meeting my chemical romance. That'd be great. Oh no, don't send that. <laughs> I said original fiction. I'm fine with fan fiction too. Send us our fan fiction about uh, about uh, Adam traveling back in time to the 2000. About the uh, sugar cults crossover with Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Oh, wow, I should not have looked up Fallout Boy fanfic. Holy crap. No, you should not have. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. I had a visceral reaction for a reason, Flesh. Unholyverse is a collection of fan-written stories about My Chemical Romance in which Gerard is a priest. The Unholyverse series will go through various bands finding the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not that bad. Male reader one-shots for male slash transgender males and gender fluids. Okay. <sighs> uh, tagged in it, Brian May, DDLB, uh, if you know what that means, you're already cringing, uh, My Chemical Romance, Panic at the Disco, Roger Taylor, and Rappers. 
I want to get out of this conversation. You can add us at GGOOTT podcast. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. You, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Please do that because that helps us not hearing this stuff. And yes, the next up, Sugar Cult, whatever. Fletch, do you have anything to plug? My website, alscaper.com, will show you uh, my writing and various projects and none of the aforementioned fanfic. Oh my god, the rappers don't have names. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug, Adam? No, my AO3 account is none of anyone's business. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but we are also, like Jimmy at Word, about to do our pop turn. So tune in next week for Get Out of This Town, Save America, where we tell you why Joe Biden is the most radical pop-punk president of all. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify. So space Americans in the cyberpunk future are trying to conquer a planet of blue cats because it has a metal called unobtainium that we need to make the world work. And it turns out you can actually stick a guy in one of the blue cats so that he can infiltrate them and try and take them down. But then he learns that having legs is pretty cool, even if they're cat legs. And also his dick works again, so he gets it on with a lady. But they find out that you don't need a dick for that. You actually attach your ponytail to anything on this planet, and that's how technology works for cats. And then at the end, a guy with two chain gun arms from the end of the Matrix 3 just starts firing at a big tree, trying to get all the unobtainium under it. But it's cool. They repulse him with five things that look like they came out of FF7. Also, Sigourney Weaver dies in the middle somewhere. By the time they were picked up by an RCA, their name was briefly Next Door before they changed it to The Calling for the band's sense of purpose. Oh, God, fucking wankers. <laughs> Alrighty.